I'm Caleb Matthews. And I'm Mary Fagel. And welcome to the What's My Therapist Reading Podcast. We read books so you can decide what's right for you. And this month we are reading a book uh, called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Um, and it is all about like psychedelics and we're going to get into it. We're going to, uh, start off with a little bit of a summary for you. Um, this book was kind of long, um, like 500 pages or so. Um, so we actually ended up splitting it into two months. So we've been reading this the past two months for book club, which is why we did a little anniversary episode for you last month. Um, but to summarize the book, we're going to start off with, um, a little, structure of the book uh so just kind of telling you what it's about and i'm going to cover the first month and then mary uh you'll you'll take the the second month for us take month two yeah so um our uh first month of reading this book he really just kind of covers a lot of ground uh so the chapters are a new door a a renaissance natural history and history and um so he kind of covers um just the idea of these plants and like general information that you should know in that first chapter and then kind of the history of plants throughout like all of time and then kind of starting to bring it up to um maybe stigma and just like things that you should know about around um psychedelics yeah, plants, right? yeah. what LSD as well like he goes through the whole history of yeah LSD and like the first wave of um, in the seventies. Yeah, so mostly, yeah, like LSD and mushrooms. I feel like were the two main ones for this book. He does talk a little bit about MDMA in your in the later chapters, but um, mostly mushrooms and LSD for for this book. Um, but yeah, can you pick us up at chapter four? Sure. So four, five, and six, we have travel log journeying uh, underground. Um, in that chapter, he talks about um, two or three. I can't quite remember how many. Definitely two, I specifically remember. Yeah. Um, um, assisted uh, trips that that he goes yeah. on. One is one is psilocybin, and the other one was LSD. Right? Did I remember that right? Or yeah. he does it both assisted with um yeah a guy so he talks about his um specific experience and then chapter five uh is about the neuroscience the brain on psychedelics and so he talks about um really what's happening neurochemically and he references some papers um and talks about conversations he had with the, you know the authors of these papers who did research and understanding what's happening um, in the neurochemistry of the brain um and then chapter six is the trip treatment psych psychedelics and psychotherapy and he talks specifically about um he breaks that up into three parts so he talks about i think it was three <laughs> he talks yeah. about um uh psychedelics uh, used in psychotherapy with um, cancer patients. And in the second part, he talks about psychedelics in use in addiction treatment. And then in the third part, he talks about psychedelics used in uh, treatment of depression. Yeah. And then there is a little epilogue where he just kind of 
wraps things into a little nugget with a bow. Yeah. <laughs> well, and does such a good job because you really get to see him kind of, as you were saying uh, before, like before we started recording, Mary was talking about how it's like, it's just a very Michael Pollan way to end because it's like how much he loves plants. <laughs> Yeah, I am a Michael Pollan fan, and he he ends by talking about one of his one of the images from one of his trips that um, really stood out to him. And it is it's about plants and all the things that make Michael Pollan Michael Pollan, and what he's learned from plants and seeing it in a more vivid, visceral way. Yeah. So uh, moving into, I guess, some trigger warnings for the this book. Um, the first one that came up for me, I guess, would be um, addiction in general. Um, whether, like, you yourself have struggled with addiction or maybe, like, it's something that's shown up in your family or, like, a friend group. Um, it might be triggering to have something that's, like, external, like a mushroom or, like, LSD. Um, things that we typically see as, like, drugs um, being talked about, like, so openly or, like, so, um, like, use-wise, because there's, like, legality there, and there's lots of complications that might, that might pull up for you if you've, uh, been around addiction. And he also talks about, like, how some of these substances can be used to help treat addiction, uh, as well. So just know that that's there. That's a good thing for, I think, people to, to maybe be aware of. Um, also, um, he talks about cancer. There's a whole mm-hmm. lengthy section where he's talking about, um, you know, the trials and specific experiences of individuals in the trial and stories who, um, were experiencing cancer treatment. And so if cancer touches your life, that could be a, just a little triggering. And then, um, also death you know especially because he's talking about with the cancer trial you know it's kind of that existential dread the difficulty of kind of facing death um and so yeah if that's a hard topic for you then hearing about it is might might be triggering but it does turn out quite lovely quite nicely yeah (laughs) so if you have the tolerance to to be stick with it it's 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 kind of a lovely, peaceful experience. Yeah. One of the quotes to go with what you're talking about, about cancer and death, like that I really liked a lot from this book is, um, the cancer is something that felt out of my, out of my control, but the fear is something that's within my control. And that's something that somebody said after going on a trip. Um, that's the like reframe that their mind had afterwards. And I was like, Oh, that's, like a lovely way to think about that. So I'm glad that they got there. That was a cool way to think about it. Um, mm-hmm. The other one that came up for me though is tripping in general, um, I think can be triggering for some people like hearing about um, at one point, somebody feels like they're, they are the paint or like they're an inanimate object or they're just so connected with the world or their ego died or like there's, there's lots of tripping throughout this so that might be triggering for for some people as well um yeah i can see those ideas just being really uncomfortable to sit with or or visualize and picture um there weren't any really super disturbing or like yeah grotesque images but i it's just hard to imagine and i see some people just feeling a little like ah, but 
Okay. So what are your general vibes about this book, Caleb? Yeah, um, so I was trying to figure out how to say this well before we actually started <laughs> recording. And the way that it's coming up in my mind now is like, I've just, uh, whenever it comes to psychedelics, I feel like our culture, like Western United States, Texas, like Austin specifically, because uh, mm -hmm. that's where we're based, um, like there's this movie mentality of a person who does psychedelics it's like very whatever bro like it's 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 just real cool and this is great and trip. I, i'm one with the universe <laughs> um and that was yeah like that was what i had pictured in my mind when you say that i really picture like in movies in particular yeah like, kind of the 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 trope character stock stoner character, trope like burnout yeah. Right? yeah well and and that's that's what i was kind of figuring was gonna be what we were gonna get to hear about and some of it did feel a little bit that way but most of it was just um michael pollan is a very well-spoken journalist and so like i was expecting like whatever bro and then i was getting like it was a nuclear explosion of my ego and like yeah. that was just a different like <laughs> that was a different yeah. way to hear about this like it was just very elevated and like very well said but it yeah. was just different than i guess what i i originally thought he's a journalist and he's also a scientist i mean he has a scientific mind I, he's not conducting scientific experiments and not a scientist in that traditional sense but he has a very scientific mind um yeah and so yeah he approaches things in that way yeah um so my general vibes I, this first half of this book, I found to be so tedious for me, um, yeah. but it also wasn't new information to me. Yeah. Um, and it, it goes into so much depth about the history of, of psychedelics and kind of the uh, moral panic about psychedelics that really put a stop to the psychedelic research that was happening in the 70s and um got, like the politics behind that like it goes into quite a bit of stuff that stuff wasn't new information to me so and he it's i mean he talks about it for three solid chapters so that was really hard if if you already know that stuff too it's gonna be a, a journey you might want to skip to to chapter four or five i would yeah. say skip to chapter five because i wanted to read this book for all of the neuroscience and so um but i do think you know in chapter four when he describes his journeys um it's super helpful to have those stories playing in your background as he talks about the neuroscience and then as the treatment in psychotherapy because you know, it references and gives you kind of a framework for the the experience that he had as an individual and the neuroscience that was going on behind it and the kind of why. Um, I also, yeah, 
I think I was going to say something else, but it's kind of a benefit. I guess I could start talking about benefits then. <laughs> well, before we go past into that, I wanted to mention a few things from general vibes and some of them, mm-hmm. I'm just going to quote you from <laughs> whenever, whenever we talked in book club. Um, mm-hmm. Cause yeah, there were just so many, there were things about this book that I want to remember. Um, and so I, I figure like, I want to make sure that people that are our listeners, like here's some like real big highlights. Um, one of the things that Catherine, one of our group members said that she really enjoyed about this book was this idea of a sled metaphor that he talks about. And so the idea is basically that like, as we get older, we have like more rigid thinking patterns. And so it's like if you were go to going to take a sled down a hill like the first time you're you don't have any tracks laid but as you get older maybe you have like some tracks that just you know come over and over and over again and so like that's the path that you take whereas what some of these trips do whether it's uh you know lsd or mushrooms they kind of give you like a blank slate or like fresh powder so that way you don't already have thinking patterns around certain things which allows you to think in like maybe a more creative or like kind of an out-of-the-box way because it's like oh I'm not going in my usual treads can I try to talk about that with the neuroscience language yeah of course go for it so um the so the LSD or the psilocybin or as it were like opens up pathways that aren't typically opened up when we're walking around like they did brain scans before and after to notice all kinds of different things but like um yeah we have all these pathways that we aren't really using there's other ones that are stronger and more defined so those are like the speed tracks right yeah and so yeah on the psychedelics the, the the ones with the ski tracks are kind of our default modes of operating that wasn't the exact language he used but the default mode yeah gets gets quieted and so if that gets quieted like like that path gets closed then all these other paths are helping us connect all these ideas and so it it allows space for the brain to start to build new neural pathways and new ways of looking at the, the situations instead of our tired thought patterns that aren't helping us yeah, which it, it kind of does it in such a it does it in such a natural way, I guess, though, because I mean, the one of the ways that he describes it later in the book um, that I also think is useful to know about is like high temperature and low temperature searches that our brains do. And so like that actually comes from like programming computers, but like a low temperature search is like you don't have a lot of energy going towards something. It's probably like right in the tracks of what you would normally do. Yeah. It's the predicted patterns. You're not open to alternative possibilities. Um, Whereas like a high temperature search is something that you can still do, even if you have the tracks laid, but it is going to probably take more energy. Whereas if you do one of these substances, like it basically turns your brain into like, we're only going to do high temperature searches right now. Like, yeah, it opens you kinda. up to looking at all the possibilities. Uh-huh. Yeah. Totally. Which, like, I love that idea just because, um, which now I just feel like I'm channeling Mary Hoofnagel. But, like, <laughs> that's, I feel like it lets me know and have a lot more empathy towards, like, kids and development and, like, 
that you were saying this in group uh that like yeah that's one of the benefits to me go ahead yeah well it well i want you to speak with your own words but like the way that you talked about it redefining how you think of school i think is like please say what you said <laughs> if you can remember it. yeah i will and i'll so this is a super like an unexpected beneficial like idea the reason children come up is because um he talk, so when he talks about the neuroscience, he talks about how we develop into these beings that focus on the, the pattern seeking. But when we're children, we don't have patterns to seek yet. So when we're noticing things and we're problem solving things, like we are casting this wide net to be open to like all the stuff. We don't have predictive patterns we're relying on yet. As adults, we have predictive patterns we're relying on. And and when we get to adolescence, we, we undergo neural pruning. Um, which is where our, our brain kind of prunes off the ones we don't need so that these predictive patterns that have been really reliable stay. Yeah. Um, and so it makes us more efficient, but yeah, sure. But children, adolescence is where we do the neural pruning. And so he does talk about how this, this mirrors what a child's mind is like this openness to possibility. And, and he talks about how the consciousness of children can offer so much to teach us. And I work with children. It's so true. Like they say things and I'm like, wow, the wisdom, yeah, <laughs> the wisdom from the mouth of babes is so powerful. And we just get so caught up in our adult minds thinking that we know because of our experience, which is valuable, but it's not everything. And so, um, yeah, he kind of talks about this balance. And so he talks about that high temperature search being that I'm, I'm open. I'm researching all the possibilities. I'm trying to find out everything rather than relying on what's most predictable and only going down those channels. Yeah. And since it takes more cognitive energy to do that, um, I just, I've made me think about school because, you know, at school, that's how kids are just showing up. That's what they're doing. They're using a tremendous amount of that cognitive energy. High energy too, or high yeah. temperature. Yeah, and they're searches. tired. They're high temperature searching everything. Yeah. And we come in as adults trying to get them to do it in a low temperature search way because we're yeah. trying to approach them at the developmental stage we see them getting at but that's not where they are and so they're already exhausted and then we're putting this pressure on them to come at the things from a way that's not natural to them which also takes a lot of energy and they can't do it yet their brain isn't cognitively developed yet to do it that way and so yeah they just get so exhausted and then they're like bad so it's just another example of the multitude of ways that schools have sort of stopped approaching how we design school and curriculum and even decide what how we're what we're learning and how we're learning it we don't approach it from an understanding of where children are at in their developmental process yeah so yeah certainly not what this book was about but it definitely like yeah well from i feel like people are coming to this podcast because they want to hear like what <laughs> therapists thought hopefully of the book and so it's like well we're gonna give it to you that was a surprising <laughs> gem yeah <laughs> that's that's where that's what we got out of it um 
The and other ones I'm... that I loved that you said was uh, you had a quote that you pulled out, uncertainty is the biggest challenge to the cognitive mind. And I was like, oh, such a good pull quote, Mary. So now I'm just complimenting you. And then my last one was, and I'll let you explain this one, but the uh, go into the cave uh, from Star Wars <laughs> was very funny to me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a quote from Star Wars. But... <laughs> Yeah, so the, these are some of the benefits of the book that I would that I would highlight. Certainly, that the idea that uncertainty is the biggest challenge of the cognitive mind, and with the neuroscience to back that up, is super cool to understand in a in a way. And you know, I'm an EMDR therapist, mm-hmm. and so when I do EMDR work with clients, that's a big piece of what we're developing along that journey is the the tolerance for the uncertainty, the how to sit with uncertainty and hold it, to how to open up to a more high temperature way of making sense of the situation versus the low temperature way we've been trying to make sense of it, which has been causing distress. And so I really thought a lot about this book, really reaffirmed the work that we do in EMDR. And so that's a huge benefit of the book too, because I think he also talks about meditation and how meditation um, helps quiet our default mode as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and other things, you know, he talks about all experiences helping us connect to that sense of oneness and kind of release our ego, which these are all benefits of what, what happens when we use psychedelics in treatment. Yeah, But there's other ways to have these benefits as well. Yeah, like the physiological effects of breathing was a big thing that he like didn't even account for at one point in the book, Um, like how big of an effect it was going to have on him. Totally. And so I think it's a huge benefit to not just um, open people up to that. And all of these are non-traditional ways of doing therapy in the United States, like the traditional mode of therapy for decades was just cognitive behavioral therapy. (laughs) <laughs> and so yeah. e- even EMDR is, is, you know, re- questioned by a lot of people and like, I don't know, that's too woo woo for me and like things like that. Yeah. But these are the things that from a neuroscience perspective it is helping us heal. And so I thought that was cool. And yeah. um, that's similar to that idea of like the go into the cave idea was, um, you know, he talks about, um, leaning in when scary things arrive he talks a lot about set and setting and your intention is so critical when you're using psychedelics and so that um intention to like lean into something that's uncomfortable or scary and surrender to it and that was the idea of going into the cave like when luke goes to see his father it's like just go and then on the other side um that's where you find peace. That's where you find what you were saying before is the like the control of that emotion. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, to shift us over into benefits and drawbacks, uh, what benefits, I guess, did you see those, from this book? Those, All right. Those were the benefits. Those were my benefits. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just making All sure. Of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other one that I really took away from this for benefits for me is, um, like we had a few therapists that, um, like use ketamine or like kind of had experience um, with 
like this topic and so like having other people read this book with me like as a person who didn't know like I don't know if I would have picked this book up for myself but it got voted and so we read it and um to have them in these conversations I thought was like so valuable and just so useful um one of the metaphors that got brought up like we talked about the sled metaphor earlier and somebody else uh one of the people who um was talking about it Brenna brought up like that it's like wet cement more than maybe snow and so like well, I think she was talking specifically about ketamine, ketamine. therapy. Yeah. She, yeah. Uh, well, she's and, trained. yeah, because yeah. she's trained in that. And so, like, one of the things that I really appreciated about that metaphor, though, is that, like, if you don't, like, process through things, maybe with a therapist or, like, with intentionality, um, you're just going to reinforce patterns that are already there. And so, like, that's part of what bringing psychotherapy next to these substances can be helpful with is because like there's an intentional change that you're seeking and that you're doing with somebody who's like maybe a little bit more grounded um while you're on this substance and so otherwise you might just be reinforcing what you already believe Um, michael michael pollan really emphasizes the importance of that integration session um and and he talks about like a, you know, a trip can have a lot of fool's gold, but also a lot of real gold. And so that integration session is part of sorting that out and, and you know, cementing the right things in place, I guess, if you will. Yeah. Um, I think also this opened up a lot of people in the group who, like I said, I, w- I was very open to the idea of psychedelics to begin with. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't a particular benefit for me, but lots of people in the group, I think it shifted their perspective and yeah, for sure. reduced some of the, the fear. Um, yeah, made it more of an okay topic to like bring up and talk yeah. about. Yeah, I agree. And I do think that this is like something that's going to grow in our lifetimes. Like this is probably going to be more of it a thing is. in our field. Yeah, like it's just going to get bigger. Um, so it's cool to be on this end of it, kind of talking mm-hmm. about it. Um, but yeah any drawbacks that you saw as we were going through um for me personally the drawback was i had to get to like chapter five before i was into the stuff that yeah i was i wanted to read the book for that stuff i i was under the impression the whole book would be that way so i also had some frustration and i was like what is this it's not what i thought yeah it does do like so much history (laughs) yeah yeah it just does it does so much history in the beginning that that's not what was my jam either so yeah I'm right there with you on that yeah yeah the and this book also had like a lot of redundancy to me um like it just he would talk about a trip and then he'd talk about another trip and then he'd talk about another trip and it was like okay I get it similar things are happening with fewer examples while the examples were helpful yeah it just felt like yeah, that sounds a lot like the last example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, the last one that got me was, um, uh, it was something that just like really was odd to me, but he talked about at one point this thing called trephination, which is like drilling holes in your brain. And he had this one woman who like tried to get um, a person, like a surgeon to do it to her and they refused. So she like drilled a hole in her own brain. And I was like, what are this we was reading? Also, like in the 1930s, it wasn't like someone Michael Pollan was working with. I clarify that. Like, 
was a, a story he came across in his research. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was uh, I, a lot. <laughs> I also worry as far as a drawback. Um, I wish it was a little more. I don't know. For he mentions it at the end, but for most of the book, I feel like it, it was feeling a lot at times like it sounded like this is a wonder cure, and I like to be real cautious about things like that because it's definitely not a wonder cure. And he talks yeah. about you know the research studies and and when they do follow ups and you know what is required to kind of maintain some of these benefits and he also talks but he doesn't talk about but we talked about in our group like not everybody is necessarily a good candidate for this either like i think there's lots of things he does talk about that medically but um you know as a psychotherapist there's other factors that could make someone not a good candidate so that wasn't part of what this book explored so i don't know that's a little no, I, I agree that uh, the he talks at the end about like it being a panacea and like he even says that it's maybe a little early in research for them to be saying that it does all these wonderful things. But um, yeah, I, I think anything that's saying like it's the cure for so like everything, like maybe have a little little caution with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and people and people just jump so easily to hearing a wonder cure where they want to hear that. So if it sounds even a little bit like that, go they're yeah, they're going for it. People will run with it. And so go. caution. Who is the book recommended for? Um, yeah, so after reading it with this group, I would say mm-hmm. um, like people interested in psychedelics, whether you're, like already interested and like for it Mm -hmm. Um, because then you're going to get some history you're going to get some neuroscience you're going to get some like um, psychotherapy integration Um, but also people that might be skeptical of this or maybe like want to learn a little bit more Um, like I think this like after reading it and talking about it in a group I'm glad that I as a therapist who's going to be like probably seeing this as like a psychotherapeutic technique um, in the next mm-hmm. few decades, like, I'm glad that I have this information. So what about you? Yeah. Who do you think the book is recommended for? Um, I agree. Like I would recommend it for those people. I would not, I would not recommend this as a therapist to client. I don't feel like that would be ethically responsible. And since, you know, I think a lot of people are therapists wondering, is this a book I can recommend for my clients? I do want to say that. And the reason I think that, I mean, it's an ethical question, so people can have other thoughts about it, but I don't see it as ethically responsible because, um, yeah, because of that. There's just, he does reference and research, but it's not, it's not thorough enough yeah for me to feel comfortable like oh you should check this out um yeah it is more a journalist like interest you know that being said if i had a client who happened to be reading it and they wanted to discuss it with me i would be open to having conversations about my thoughts about the topic in general and the book itself uh but 
I, I probably would not go, you should, you should read this to learn more about, I would probably give them a research paper if I felt like yeah. if they were asking me for a resource or something of that nature. Well, something that's um, maybe like more affiliated with the mental health community. Cause I think you said it yeah. really well whenever you're like, he's a journalist, like that's where this yeah. is coming from. Not necessarily like a mental health resource. Um, yeah. 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 Agreed. And I think to, to piggyback on what you said, I think his intended audience seems to be skeptics to me. Yeah. Um, he spent so that. much time on that historical background and context and like demonstrating a lot of things that were like, Oh, huh. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, that's the, that's half of the book. So to me, that feels like he intended to write this for skeptics yeah. to kind of open people up to the idea. Yeah, to give people maybe just a little bit more information. Although I feel like it's probably hard as an author to write a book towards the skeptic because it's like you have to get them drawn in enough that they get the book, you know? But Well, I mean, the book the title of the book is just How to Change, change Your Mind. mind. It doesn't, yeah. I mean, I guess the subtitle indicates it's about psychedelics, but... Yeah. I don't but, know. Yeah, I, th I think that uh, skeptics is a good one to... I would assume that that would be his answer. And then uh, maybe uh, like just anybody that wants to know more about psychedelics, I'd say too. But uh, I think skeptics is probably well, based on how curious, he wrote it. If you're curious and interested, then you get the kind of the whole picture from start to finish. So definitely it could be intended for them too. Yeah. I guess I just wonder why he spent such a significant amount of the time telling us on the yeah. street. Yeah. Well, that wraps us up for today. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, if you'll follow us on Goodreads or Instagram by clicking the links in the notes, and we will see you next month. Bye. Yes, and like, comment, share. Yeah, put it out there. And, and we might uh, come up with a question for the, uh, for the feed below. So if you see one down there, go ahead and go ahead and respond. We want to hear from you. Yeah. Thanks. Bye, you guys. Bye.